Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only Internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Now, today's topic is about, well, it's actually our part two interview with Morgan Toombs, a practical information on medical marijuana. So let me tell you a little bit about Morgan. She is the nurse manager of Canada's first nurse practitioner-led medical marijuana clinic called O Cannabis Clinic. She is a med- she is a multi-published author, humanitarian award winner for exceptional nursing care, as well as an award-winning adult educator. Morgan is passionate about helping Canadians navigate the confusing medical marijuana landscape and believes that Canadians should have affordable and timely access to medical marijuana, even if they live in the Yukon. Morgan, thank you. Thank you so much for being back as my special guest on uh, the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So for the listeners out there, I'll make sure in the podcast notes that you can see Uh, the link to our first interview with Morgan. And in that interview, we talked about, um, you know, some of the most common reasons people seek medical cannabis, Uh, pain, anxiety, sleep are the big three. Um, You know, answer questions like, does it make you high? Is it addictive? Will it make you you know, stupid and kill your brain cells? And do you have to smoke it? And then on our last interview, we also spoke about the uh, the licensed producer and you know once you have that prescription in hand like what do you do next so um, Morgan with the licensed producers you had said that they can they're like any they're like any other business like they can only take so many patients on mm-hmm. with with the amount of supply they mm-hmm. have available with mm-hmm. the different strains of medical cannabis. And so it's difficult to find a licensed producer that is still accepting patients. But then, like, what if you're the patient and you're on medical cannabis, you're feeling great, it's it's changed your health, you mm-hmm. know, for the better, mm-hmm. and then, oh my gosh, they run out of that specific mm-hmm. strain. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, well, not a lot, but a, a lot. <laughs> so, um, absolutely. So, so, so a couple things with this. So first of all, not all licensed producers sell the same kind of medicine. So, you know, switching one out for another may or may not be effective. 
Um, so if a, if a licensed producer happens to run out of medicine, and, and a, we had a patient recently where that happened, where I won't say the name of the licensed producer, but they ran out of their medicine, and the patient was like, uh, "What do I do?" And they gotten uh, they gotten the authorization document from their their family doctor, and so they didn't know what to do. They weren't connected to a clinic to help get them connected to another licensed producer, and that's a whole ordeal if if the patient um, doesn't have some somebody advocating for them. It can be quite challenging for a patient. So you know, if a patient um, is on their own in that kind of way, they probably will not be able to get access to more medicine until that licensed producer produces more medicine. And, you know, think think about it like this, right? Like it, there's a whole growth cycle that happens with medical marijuana. It's not something that they can just print more uh, pills, you know, at the factory. They need to grow the medicine and then it needs to be tested and approved before it can be sold. And so, um, there's a three-month life cycle, a growth cycle for medical marijuana. And so they may be waiting up to three months in order to be able to purchase their medicine again. So um, so that's that's a huge, huge challenge for people that, that don't really know much about um, what, the, what their rights are, what they can do as a patient, and that there are other licensed producers that may have something similar, um, but it would be called by something, some other type of name. So again, that can be very confusing for a patient. Um, patients can though if they're connected to if they either know how or if they're connected to a clinic what they can do is is sign a, a release document and then the the cancellation request would be sent to the licensed producer the licensed producer would then release their script and then the patient can um, put that script or we would put the script for the on the patient's behalf with another licensed producer that has a similar uh, medicine. So, for example, if somebody needs a low THC CBD product uh, and only in an oil, if one licensed producer runs out, then we would search through the different licensed producers that are currently accepting new patients, have oil and CBD oil specifically. Then we would we would talk to the patient about the price if that works for their budget, and then we would connect them with the licensed producer that is able to do that. Then it would still take a couple of it would take you know anywhere from three to five days to get the patient registered, and then they would be able to order their medicine. So um, yeah, so it, it's it, it it's happened before. I'm sure it'll continue to happen um, where licensed producers run out of medicine um, for short periods of time while they're waiting for their growth cycles to to come to fulfillment. Um, yeah, it definitely is a barrier in the industry. So that's, that just sounds like a ton of work that the yeah. patient would have to do on their own. And so you help fill in that gap because it's a lot of paperwork. Well, it's a lot of paperwork and um, it, it's a ton of paperwork and the patient can't register with another licensed producer until they get that release document from the licensed producer that they're currently with. And then what do they do? Well, they have to then go back through the list of licensed producers and discern which ones are one, public-facing, ones that actually sell to the public, and two, who are accepting new patients, and three, that have a similar product to the, the the medicine that they were getting at the other licensed producer. And what we do as a clinic is if we know a patient is getting benefit from something that's, a, for example, a one-to-one, -one, so one part THC, one part CBD, then we would look at another licensed producer that has a similar product and a similar profile that a terpene profile that would um, give the patient very likely similar benefits. And then you have to switch them to that, start at yeah. low doses, titrate up to the dose that works for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, a if, they, if they've been getting success on the previous medicine at a certain type of dose, then we could start closer to there. We wouldn't necessarily have to start them at the exact lowest. If they were doing it by themselves, I would definitely say start at the lowest, simply because we wouldn't know exactly like what that product is um, and, and how it would be interacting. Like if if that makes sense, like we'd want to we'd want to keep it low for sure, but they wouldn't necessarily if they're being monitored, start from the very lowest dose. They could start with where they just a little bit lower than where they were started before because it would be pretty much the same product. Okay, so now we know that, you know, once you get your uh, prescription mm-hmm. that you go to a, you, you have to uh, get it to a licensed producer. You don't go to a dispensary. You don't go to some random street corner or behind some building <laughs> and get it from a street dealer. Yes. And, uh, and, and so there's a whole process with that. So uh, I think next a lot of people wonder, can they get fired if they're using mm-hmm. medical cannabis? Right. Yeah, this is such a, an important question um, because it, it's confusing for people. Like, what? it's marijuana. <laughs> what do, what, what's my boss going to think? Well, first of all, if you're, if you're a patient with diabetes and you need to take your insulin, you're not going to get fired for taking your insulin, period, if you need to take insulin during the day. And so with a patient who is... Uh, a medical cannabis patient and they're using it for medical purposes, which is what all medical cannabis patients do, and they need to take it during the day during work hours, it would be you know best practice, I believe, to have a conversation with a, with their their boss if they have a product with THC in it because THC can be um, it is the one that causes that high feeling um, for some patients. and so so you know the main the main thing is to ensure that the the patient is is able to be able to be fully functional at work and and to be able to have access to their medicine. So they can't, their human right is for them to not get fired. That being said, if they're taking a product that could potentially cause them to be impaired, like THC, then they would need to, um, you know, either do it in such a way where they wouldn't be impaired, so microdosing, or they would need to have a conversation with their boss to let them know, hey, like, I'm not going to be impaired. This is, these are the criteria and like have that type of conversation to ensure that the, 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 that the worker is able to work effectively even while being on um, medical marijuana. And there's a lot of patients that we have that are very concerned about that. And so, you know, for pain patients, for example, so um, a, a patient who uh, drives for a living, then they have quite a lot of pain from from sitting in a stationary position for such long periods of time. They get quite a lot of pain, and so we have them put the CBD oil topically on the areas of pain, and they've been getting quite a lot of relief. And so that, in and of itself, during the daytime, is really effective for them. Um, there is other patients that have a lot of anxiety, and so um, and so they they take a, an oil in the morning, just a CBD oil. So it's very 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 low levels of THC, less than typically less than one percent, and then um, high levels of CBD, which is a non psychoactive and an anxiety reducing um, cannabinoid. And so they'll take it in the morning, and they'll just need to dose once during the day, and they feel great all day. We have other patients with um, with with anxiety, one of them thinking of anxiety and PTSD, they take, they, they uh, microdose with a CBD vapor, vaporizer all day. So they'll just take it whenever they feel that they need it because, um, and yeah, with vaporizing, it smells like marijuana because marijuana is marijuana and it has that, um, you know, aroma. 
if you will. And so, so it's, you know, for for that patient, they, they just communicate with their boss about that. It's just a CBD product and we send them, we, we support our patients a lot. And so we send those patients where they have those types of concerns, information and, um, you know, they're the human rights, like what's been written about it already in different provinces around the country. And, um, you know, and it's, all of it makes logical sense. Like you would not get upset with a person for taking their diabetes medicine why would you get upset or fire somebody for um, a patient who's taking their anxiety medicine or or topically putting on their pain medicine or or ingesting their pain medicine like it does not make any sense as long as the person is able to do their job effectively then it really should be a no issue a non-issue um but what about these industries where they do uh routine uh drug testing Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good question i don't really know how to answer that we're still um, we're still in lots of different conversations with organizations that do that. So that's definitely a fear. Like even with a CBD product, if a patient is taking just a CBD product, um, and THC is typically what the the urine tests are testing for THC, which is the one cannabinoid that causes um, people to feel high. If they are if it, because in, in a CBD product in Canada right now, there is no licensed producer that is currently producing a CBD-only medical marijuana strain. There is a trace elements of THC. So depending on the urine test, they may test positive even though they're only using a CBD product, even though they've never gotten high or felt that euphoric feeling. And so, um, so, in, so that's... You know, I think there's a lot of, of um, work to be done in that area and a lot of policies to be um, written and communicated to, you know, us as a public at large and also within inter- like in the organizations themselves. Um, because on one hand, why would you want to be having, you know, patients in pain and, and you know, not being as effective at work or, uh, you know, being really stressed out because their body is in so much pain or they're so anxious or they're not sleeping well? Um, and then have it be like a big penalty for that if they're taking something that's more natural with a lot less side effects than the pharmaceutical meds. You know, it's it, there's a lot of work to be done there. And you had said, it, you know, it would be good to have, uh, you know, sit down conversation with uh, your manager, your boss, whoever it is, mm-hmm. to have yeah. a very open, transparent conversation about this. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, again, because like there's a lot of stigma still around marijuana you know it, it takes a lot of guts to to do that and I think it is really best practice to to sit down and have that transparent conversation and and we're happy to support we will send our patients whatever they need and links to resources because again it's so hard to find to know what to search for in Google first of all and then you know what are credible resources and so um, we support our patients like if we if anybody want even from from any of your listeners if they want information about that I'm happy to share resources with you that you can share with them um, because it's it's yeah it's definitely a very um, it's a big it's a big deal and and pe- I believe that patients should not be fired for for using cannabis as long as they're able to do their job. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've learned some of the effects of uh, medical cannabis. Now let's talk about side effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, uh, like any medication, there's side effects. Um, I always like to start, whenever somebody asks me about side effects, I like to tell a little story. So um, so a colleague who works in a medical cannabis clinic was telling me about this, uh, this phone call that she received, and she picks up the phone and, you know, hello, so-and-so clinic. And a woman says, I don't know what to do. 
on the phone to to the receptionist. I don't know what to do. And and so of course immediately alarm bells started ringing, and and she's like, oh my gosh, in her head she's like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? Do I need to tell her to call nine one one? Should I call nine one one? What's going on? So so the receptionist says, okay, well, um, what to do about what? What's happening? What's going on? And and she the wife says, in kind of a lowered voice. My husband, he, he's taking medical cannabis, and, and I, I just don't know what to do. And she's like, oh, my gosh, like, what's going on? Do you want me to call 911? She says, no, no, I don't want you to call 911. He's dancing. Hmm. And I give him more. And <laughs> he's dancing, and can I give him more? Well, this patient was a 86-year-old man who had been <laughs> ch- chair-bound for wow. many, many years, and he'd been taking cannabis for a while, and finally he, he was feeling so good and mobile, and he was you know, flirting with his wife again and, and being really playful. She, he was dancing, and she was like, oh, my gosh, this is the man that I – basically what she was saying in that, what, I don't know what to do. Can I give him more? Basically, she re- <laughs> reconnected with the man that she fell in love with, and it, he was dancing all over the place. And um, yeah, and so that's one of the side effects, of course, is is joy, increased feelings of well-being, um, you know, increased mood. It can also cause dry mouth. It can cause sleepiness. Essentially, the side effects are a lot less than most of the other, almost all the other pharmaceuticals out there. What I love about cannabis from a nurse's point of view is that there's no lethal dose. There's no recorded in thousands of years of a lethal dose of medical marijuana and or marijuana, period. There was a a um, gentleman who was a PhD in this, and he was in the states, and he 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 did a image like a, an infographic of how much marijuana a person would need to consume in order to, to, for it to be potentially lethal, and it was fifteen hundred pounds or kilos. It was a lot of weight, like, and, and that would have to be done in five minutes. So you know, it's consuming yeah. you know to you know ten to twenty times your body size in uh, um, you know five minutes is. Almost impossible. I, I don't even think they can do that at those <laughs> hot dog eating contests. I don't know. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> okay, so it's extremely safe. It is extremely safe, yeah. And um, I guess if you're on the wrong strain or the wrong dose, you, you might not feel so good. Yeah. But, but yeah. That, that's part of the, um, that that that's part of the nice the niceties of working with a clinic like O Cannabis Clinic is that there's somebody there on the other end of the line that's kind of yeah. walking you through yeah. what to do if you're yeah. not feeling good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if patients have never tried marijuana before, we don't start them at a high level of THC. We don't even know how they're going to tolerate THC. So we, again, it's about starting a patient nice and low and going really slow as we up the dose to their lowest effective dose and so you know I like what you said about the wrong strain for sure we don't you know what's really great about working with a clinic and and even um like we we have a lot of different patients with a lot of different ailments and so we know what works for different what what typically works with patients so you know 40 percent of our patients with this particular condition really benefit from using this and so a good chunk of the time it works really really well and so, um, or, or if that doesn't work, then this works for, you know, the other 40%. Okay, great. And if that doesn't work, this works for the other 20%. You know, we, we work with our patients to ensure that they find what works. And, um, yeah, and the wrong dose piece, my gosh, we would, again, it's all about starting a patient nice and low, going nice and slow. Like, you know, it, the image in my head is about, you know, just imagine holding a little granny's hand, walking, you know, her through the whole process because we want to avoid any of our patients feeling scared about using marijuana as, as medicine. It's good medicine and there's good evidence that supports, you know, 
marijuana as 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 being very helpful for a lot of different people. So um, yeah. So Morgan, how many? Do you know how many different strains of medical cannabis are out there? I don't know the exact number, thousands though. Like there's a lot of different, a lot, a lot, a lot of different types of strains in. Like there is. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're talking global, if you're talking uh, Canada-wide, I'd say each licensed producer has anywhere from um, 5 to 20 on the market at any given time, and those are in rotation, and there's 57 um, licensed producers right now. Okay, so that could be 20 times 57, which is, I don't know, but it's a lot. <laughs> and, and so that, that you, um, as a health provider, yeah, that you have a patient, you know, that needs some medical cannabis for pain Mm -hmm. and that you guys already kind of have a a general idea of what strains work best for that generally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which strains work best for anxiety? Yeah. Which strains work best for sleep, for nausea, for blah, 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 blah. And and that, that part of just navigating that is huge. And then, like you said, you mentioned before microdosing. What exactly do you mean by microdosing? So it's taking just a tiny little bit. So it would be through, so microdosing would be through a vaporizer. So the differences in terms of delivery mechanism is oils, which is typically used sublingually, so underneath the tongue. Um, It takes longer for it to um, fully integrate into the system. So about two hours to feel the effects, but then it lasts for a lot longer. So anywhere from six to 10 hours, depending on the patient. So that is not a microdosing tool because of the long lasting effects of it. Um, whereas with with flour, which is the bud, the um, the uh, like the green stuff that you would put into a vaporizer, typically what like in the past what would be in a joint, um, we use vaporizers now in 2017 and beyond. And um, and so with microdosing, you're it's it's when you're vaporizing, it crosses the blood brain barrier almost immediately. So the effects are almost immediate. They last for a lot less time so anywhere so it happens right away the effect happens right away and then the patient is receiving benefit for anywhere from an hour to four hours so um, micro so instead of um, taking an oil dose once or twice a day microdosing allows for just like one little puff to get symptom relief without getting stoned so then really it sounds like that depends on what the patient's complaints are correct as to um, the delivery mechanism was going to work best for them. They yeah. they might be fine on the oil sublingually. They might yep. be fine on oil topically. Mm-hmm. They might occasionally need a vaporizer. It really just depends on the patient. But like, is that written on the prescription, or or does <laughs> is that part of what you do at your clinic? Oh, that's such a good question. The so we used to when we first started, we had a lot more criteria on our prescriptions or our authorization documents. Um, you know this. Because all the different licensed producers sell different things, and not all of them sell all of them sell flour, meaning the bud. Um, some of them sell oil, and then a couple of them sell different unique products. Um, like one sells a sublingual spray, one sells uh, um, powdered, like decarboxylated um, cannabis, so like pill form. Some sell pills, like oil capsules. So it depends. So. Now, now, Morgan, yeah. I, I, I noticed you did not say edibles. Right. <laughs> Good year. Yeah. So so edibles, um, patients can make their own edibles, for sure. Um, edibles can be avail- are available in dispensaries. Again, I, I would strongly encourage you not to go into a dispensary because you don't know what you're getting. Um, but if a person wanted edibles, 
you could make your own like brownies or chocolates or what have you. What I, I, I recommend that more for an experienced user though, because what we want to do again is about starting the, the patient on the lowest dose possible and then increasing it to be the lowest, most effective dose. And so we don't know in a brownie, a bite of a brownie, how much product, how much marijuana is in that bite. And so they're not, because it's an edible, it's going to take longer for it to impact the system. So, you know, waiting two hours to get the impact from eating a brownie, like who wants to sit there with a brownie staring at them for two hours and to discern whether or not they're going to be taking another bite. So yes, edibles are not legally allowed in Canada yet. Um, The closest thing to edibles is oil. And um, so most of our patients, bar none, are on oils. We cater a lot to the senior demographic and and people that are scared of the or, you know, very hesitant about the stigma that um, is associated with, uh, you know, or was associated with the with the flower or the vaporizing or the, you know, that um, whole thing. So oil doesn't have the same type of stigma. So that's very, um, you know, close the closest thing to an edible as possible. Morgan, before we got on this uh, recording, mm-hmm. uh, you told me a story about one of the patients mm-hmm. um, that required a, a walker when they when they first yeah. came in. Uh, yeah. Can you share? Do you mind sharing that story with our listeners? No, for sure. I'd okay. love to. It's it's a great story, and there's stories like this is my favorite part of my job is these types of stories. Like it's we hear we get they pour in every single day, and it's amazing. So this uh, patient is um, is a patient of a colleague of mine who's an anesthesiologist, and so this patient came in, lots and lots and lots of pain, had two aides, so a, a, two people on either side plus a walker. So came in, nothing, none of the treatments were working, none of the conventional pain treatments were working, and this patient was very senior. And um, so, so the doctor puts the patient on cannabis. And so three months later, follow-up, patient comes in with just a walker, no aids. So obviously already a, uh, an improvement. And so, um, so the, the, the doctor sends the patient away and uh, patient comes back six months later and the patient doesn't have a walker, doesn't have any AIDS and is sitting there tapping her toe, pointing to her clock and says, doc, can we please hurry up? I gotta go dancing. <laughs> so it's like an 80 something year old um, yeah. woman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, People use medical cannabis for many different reasons, mm-hmm. and and you had said earlier that Oh Cannabis Clinic really just tries to uh, smooth the experience for mm-hmm. patients, yeah, and and the patient education and the follow up mm-hmm. care, and to just treat the patients like they are a family member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cannabis family, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Morgan, uh, these two conversations have been so great. You've provided with us with so much information. Is there anything we've not touched on at this point that you think is important? I think um, I think what's important is for patients if they're if people are wanting to to get access to medical marijuana, there's just understanding what the process is, like what the different options are, and just to be aware of of you know if a, if a clinic charges if a clinic doesn't charge you know what are the things to be aware of like what's a good buyer's manual if you will on um, or like the like a checklist of things to look for when you're wanting to get medical marijuana because there's a lot of different pathways to get to the end result it's really about what specifically does the patient want and um, and what is the outcome that they're wanting so I'd love to chat about that if there's a bit more time yeah a- absolutely go right ahead okay cool so um, so 
So a lot of doctors, MDs, are not comfortable prescribing medical marijuana because of all the follow-up care and for very, a various variety of other reasons. And so, um, so a patient can go to their doctor and get uh, print out from the Health Canada website an authorization document. Your doctor probably will not have that in their office. Um, so you, if you print that off for them and you take it to your doctor and she signs off, she signs off on it for you, um, you know, then you, what you would do at that point is you would fax it to a licensed producer. So make sure that you research, do your research and find out which licensed producer has the right strains for you so that you can actually order, um, your medicine. We had a patient and, and why I'm bringing this up. I had a patient this week who got an authorization document from their doctor uh, in June, and they're they're a cancer patient. And so in June, now it's June, July, August, September, October, November. Five months later, the patient still hasn't received any medicine. The patient didn't know. Wow. I know, I know, wow. and it's a cancer patient. I know. Wow. And so the the patient didn't know what to do. So they sent the they printed out um, the Health Canada uh, sample authorization document, sent that over to Health Canada, not realizing that Health Canada doesn't need that. So they sent the original copy to Health Canada, and then they they they're like, okay, well, what do I do? Now, I'm, you know, they thought they were registered, but they weren't. And so we get a call like, you know, this week about it. And so we're like, okay, we'll 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 get we'll expedite you and make sure you get your medicine. So we actually have to do the whole process again: get the patient, get them seen by the nurse practitioner, get them connected to a licensed producer, get them registered, and then get their medicine sent over. So you know, five months late, but um, you know, at least we can we can get them with our medicine in hand by next week so there's a there's a lot of um there's a lot of steps to do it's definitely possible to do it on your own though if you if you want to just go in and have your doctor sign just be aware that your doctor probably will charge you about forty dollars that, that patient paid forty dollars for their doctor to sign that form so whatever your doctor's fees are for um filling in forms that would be the charge so typically anywhere from 20 to 60 dollars would be um pretty standard across canada so that's one one way is the, do, the DIY, do it yourself. Um, the, and then if you're doing it yourself, there's a really good website I check out. It's lift.co, L-I-F-T dot co. And there's information about different strains. What I love about that website is that patients, it's non-solicited um, reviews. And so there's, they have to, they're medical cannabis patients that will give reviews about the different strains. One of the flaws that I find about that website is that not all of the strains are always available. So, um, so it gives all of the different strains that are that have been available, but they may not still be available. So, understanding like knowing how to look at what's in the cannabis itself, and then being able to translate that into something that is available in a licensed producer right now is a skill. It's a it's a good thing to 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 do. And you're welcome to call our office and ask us questions if you guys have questions about that. Um, and then the other options are just things to keep in mind, like best practices is if you're, if you're covered by like OHIP, we live in Ontario. So OHIP typically covers, um, in-person physician visits for patients. Uh, so the patient doesn't, doesn't need to pay out of pocket for that. Oftentimes though, there is a fee, like an administration fee, anywhere from 60 to, um, gosh, I've seen like 199 to 250, um, and that's just for the administration fees. So just to send the, the stuff off to the licensed producers, just to um, do, like do a little bit of conversation with the patient. That doesn't include follow-up care with any clinic except for ours. Um, and so like th- there are options out there. But just to be aware, just because something's covered by OHIP, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be other fees. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and then even if there's absolutely no administration fees, if it's just a free clinic, 
what we're finding, we're getting a lot of patients from free clinics coming to ours because they have to chase after the clinic to get a, um, a, an appointment. Okay. Because they're, because they're so busy. So they're having to, like the patient does has, so you were asking earlier about, you know, what does a patient do if, the, if they run out of medicine? Well, what does a patient do if they can't get another script? Mm-hmm. You know, and so they can't get their medicine without another script. So with, um, so just to be aware of that, and I would book appointments, you know, each time that you're there, like book it, like right there in the now to make sure that you have a continuance of, of being able to get your authorization document. And you're going to have to go in. It'll probably take about three hours each, each visit. Um, and it will be um, probably for three months. Um, unfortunately, there it's it, right now. It, the space is really about maximizing OHIP payouts, and <laughs> um, so you know they see patients every single three months. And you know the authorization document is allowed to be for twelve months. Um, but uh, so yeah, and then there's like our clinic, for example. Um, we, we are a fee-for-service clinic, um, and we have different, we have three different, we've got three different tiers. We have the $50 model, which is a DIY, but we get the script for you. And we pay all of our nurse practitioners out of pocket. We don't, we are not a, um, a covered service. Like, we are not covered by OHIP yet. So um, that's a DIY. Um, the the um, next model that we have, it's 147 to get, you know, it's a starter pack, and it has, like, an education session with one of our educators, one-month follow-up care with our nurses, um, and a script from our nurse practitioner and, and as much conversations and things that you need in order to, to titrate with the right medicine and um, all of that kind of stuff for the first months. And so we find the majority of our patients are pretty good. The majority of our, um, you know, 30 to 6 year old 30 to, no, yeah, 30 to 45-year-old patients who've, who've typically used recreationally are really good with that package. Because even if they've used recreationally, um, like self-medicated, and uh, Carrie, I think you're going to be surprised at this. Um, uh, there's a lot of patients that have been self-medicating with marijuana for years. Yeah, there was yeah. a, a doctor in, in Toronto who did a, a just pulled his patients to see, well, should I get into this space or not? Like, do my patients even need this? Pulled his patients, and 30% of his patients that had the courage to tell him that they're self-medicating with medical marijuana mm-hmm. told him. So I think the number is, is, you know, probably a bit higher than 30% if, if those were the patients that he was actually able to communicate to and they actually had the courage to share. So, um, yeah, so even even if a person has been self-medicating with, with cannabis, there's a lot of different things to, to know. Like you can't go to a dispensary. Um, you're not going to get medicine there. Uh, you know, you want to order from a licensed producer that has the right medicine and the right um, delivery system for you if you want oil or if you want sublingual spray or if you want topical or if you want um, flour so you know there's a lot of information and so we find most of our there's a lot of our patients in the um, 30 to 45 year old range that that fit that and then we have a two-year package where it's two years you know everything is um, you'll always get your scripts you have uh, one every single month a nurse will be calling you to follow up and make sure that you're okay if you have any questions you know you've got unlimited access to our team um, so we have a very very robust follow-up care we give a beautiful patient journal to those patients to ensure that you know they're able to document their medicine and be really interactive with it it's a beautiful I think you've seen the, the uh, journal it's beautiful it's very nice yeah, yeah. it's very nice <laughs> Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so that one is two ninety nine, and it's all inclusive for two years. So, and then all of our patients are lifetime patients of ours, so we're always there, and we have like an a la carte menu to cover the cost of our, um, you know, service providers. So then, Morgan, if patients want to get involved with Oak Cannabis Clinic, do mm-hmm. they need to be referred by their medical doctor, or can they self refer? 
That is such a good question. And that that's one of the big barriers I find about physician clinics is physician led clinics is that they have to have a referral. We don't have to have a referral. We can, um, uh, we are happy to take a patient who is self-referring. Like what we're finding is a lot of patients, even our 96 year old patients have brought cannabis to their doctor and their doctor's like, no, that's the last thing I want you to be on. But I'll, I'll you know, that's the last, that's the last medicine I want you to, to be on every, try everything else but that. Um, you know, and so really at the end of the day, we were talking about in our last interview about the, you know, the four pillars of good clinical base evidence. Well, good, uh, you know, 50% of that is patient's preference and patient's yeah. experience. Yeah. So, you know, the, the patient's preference should be honored. And, and, you know, because it's such a safe medicine, when properly monitored, there's no, there, you know, I think, person, my personal opinion is I think it should be, you know, a first line, um, but it's not framed that way in Canada yet. And so, um, yeah, like patients do not need to get a referral from, from their doctor. You know, we're finding a lot of patients having a lot of obstacles with their doctors. And so we are happy to take patients who self-refer. The criteria, though, they do have to pass, um, you know, certain, they, there's a, we have a, a screening process and they have to pass that in order for us to be able to work with them as a patient. They do need to be a legitimate medical patient. They need to have tried something else and it, you know, and either the side effects are too much or, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's not working. The, the medicine is no longer working. Um, we've been getting a lot of patients who are wanting to find a more natural alternative to what they're, like what they're using is working, but it's not a long-term option for them. So they want to find something else while, while they're, you know, while they're not experiencing a lot of other side effects, um, come to us to get a script. So, um, yeah, so you don't need to get, you don't need to get a referral for us. You can self-refer just you do need to have a uh, valid medical reason to be coming to work with us. And then you had said that ner- as a nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. they can do the actual prescribing. You don't have to have a prescription from the medical doctor, right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. in Ontario, you can nurse practitioners are able to prescribe medical cannabis. And so, um, so you don't need to have a physician prescribe. Nurse practitioners can prescribe. Okay, Morgan, thanks again for being on this interview and sharing all this information. Again, can you share the uh, the website for O'Cannabis Clinic? And uh, if our listeners want to find out more about you, like how can they reach out to you? Great. So, yeah, um, our website is ocannabisclinic.com, just like our anthem, ocannabisclinic.com, and just the letter O. And you can reach me there and my team there, um, or you can send me a, a private email. It's morgan at ocannabisclinic.com. And uh, just put in the subject line that, uh, that you're one of uh, Dr. Carey's podcast listeners, and I'm happy to, to respond personally or, or direct you to the team member, one of our social workers or nurse practitioners or nurses or other team members that can help you. Fantastic. You, you know, the question that I did not have a chance to ask is, you know, what do you think is going to happen when it becomes legal? Like when that actually, <laughs> when that day comes, what's going to happen after that? Well, that will be uh, our third interview topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a awesome question. And, and we're actually really excited about it becoming recreationally legal. So I'm happy to do a third interview with you for that. If, uh, <laughs> when, 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 it's, when we do. All right. Morgan, thanks again for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Morgan Toombs. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. 
You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.